Welcome, Travelers Blueprint community. I'm Elliot Shibley, and here with me today is the analytical Robert Domena. I appreciate that. <clears throat> so before we get into the episode today, we just encourage you to check out our website in order to view some of the travel gear that Elliot, Elliot and I use uh, while traveling abroad, uh, things picked out hand-selected by us and that we think would be helpful to you on your trip. In addition to that, we have a book a trip tab where we set up tour companies that we interview on the podcast to be more accessible through our platform. Everybody on that list has been on the podcast, so you can listen to an owner or operator from that company, make your decision, and then book through there. If you book with GJ Travel, which is an Icelandic company, you get 5% off of your booking. So check it out, uh, and we really appreciate that. All right. So the answer to last week's trivia question for Paulo was how many kilometers was Paulo's trip from Dubai to Norway? And if you Googled the distance from Dubai to Norway, it might come up with something like 7,000 kilometers. Well, Paulo's trip ended up being 30,000 because he followed most of the Greek coastline, which is immense. And he zigzagged all across Europe. It was pretty cool. So if you got 30,000 kilometers and you emailed us, we'll be reaching out to you to give you a sticker and to give you a shout out on our Instagram page. Additionally, stay tuned to the end of the episode for this episode's trivia question. And if you know it, you can shoot us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or an Instagram direct message or a Facebook direct message. All right. So our guest today is the owner and or operator of Hackney Tours, but he also is another guest from Tours by Locals. Today we talk about London, uh, what to do if you're this is your first time to London. If you're unfamiliar with a big city, we talk about little niche spots in London, what our guest really likes, where some of the best food spots that he thinks are, and some of the coolest parks. So without further introduction, please welcome to the show, Simon Cole. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Simon, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to, to learn about London today. So we, we found you through one of our affiliate companies, uh, Tours by Locals, and we struck up a conversation. And now here we are to go through London in not necessarily a, a broad sense, but maybe a little bit of a niche, uh, you know, based on your experiences and the tours that you'd like to give and, and the information that you'd like to portray to people visiting the city. So that being said, um, I guess let's really just jump right into it. When someone comes on one of your tours or, or wants to come to experience London, how do you initially direct them? So I think a good way to go about it is um, to do a general overview of the core area, which is the center of London. So um, for example, Westminster, which is the home of our government. It's where the queen has a residence. It's where you'll find things like if you if you, you know there's an establishing shot for uh, a movie or film here, as we say, of London, which is Nelson's Column uh, in Trafalgar Square, and you've got red buses going round it, and then you've got black taxis, and that's your classic establishing shot for London. So I'll take people to show uh, show them that kind of thing. 
then we will uh, take a walk along the river because to understand London, you have to understand the river because you know, that's why we're here. Uh, the famous Thames with all its bridges. And then we'll go along to uh, see the, the financial district. Um, and on, of course, on the way, there's a, an incredible amount of history, fantastic buildings to look at. And you, what happens then is people get a sort of sense of uh, the history of London, how it's evolved over the centuries as to become the great city that it is today. And also, uh, you know, where the key things are. So, for example, someone's maybe, they've maybe got uh, two days. So they're like, okay, what's the important things? They, they want to feel like they've seen London, you know, the kind of key things like where's, you know, where's Big Ben? Uh, where does the Queen live? Where are the guys with the crazy hats outside the palace? You know, the change for the guard, where do they stand? Where do we find those guys? Um, where's it like, you know, quintessentially uh, London scene, the, the, the panoramas, the famous viewpoints. And then uh, they can kind of, I'll leave them with a, a sense of the lay of the land and then also some suggestions for places they might want to go on day two. Um, so, you know, well, if you, you, or, or, I mean, some people come for a whole week, right? And then it's right, well, here's how the city is laid out. Here's where uh, the core stuff is. And then when you're ready to be more adventurous, when you're confident on the tube, which is something I like to do with people as well, and just show them that the, the tube system here, or as you guys would say, the subway, is really easy to use. And uh, once you get the hang of that, then you can just shoot all of the city really quickly and, and see so much, use the buses as well, and really kind of, you know, experience London as a, as a local does, hop in the bus so that you see, um, you know, that you, you build a cognitive map like a Londoner would. And so you're like, okay, over here's the financial district and over, over there is the kind of where the, the, the hip kids are hanging out on Brick Lane. And... Um, you know, when I'm ready for something a little bit more in depth, then uh, this is where I can go on the subway to kind of get into the, the more off the beaten track London. Or we get people that they've been a lot of times and they'll say, well, you know, show me something that's actually, uh, show me where regular people go uh, and where regular folk kind of, uh, you know, where they work, where they eat and show me something underground, a little bit alternative, a little bit cool. So you're kind of, uh, I mean, you start big, uh, you know the, the broad picture and then if you've got the time then you zoom in yeah that's that seems to be the case for most cities it is it's hard to see a city in one day and automatically when you enter a new city you want to go to you gravitate towards the areas that are known to be the main tourist attractions and typically that's like their historic districts and their their government areas where the the and and for london it's westminster abbey right and, and I've been to that area of the city and it's beautiful. The architecture is beautiful. There's parks and it was really fun. But then just like, you know, and I always refer to New York, just like seeing Times Square, you don't really get a sense of what the actual city is like until you venture out to the neighborhoods and you go to the, the corner stores and you actually uh, dive into it a little deeper. So um, I think for this podcast, we won't spend too much time in that core touristy area. Uh, because there's already a ton of information on that online. Uh, for anybody that's been to London, I'm sure you've already experienced it. So, uh, Simon, if it's okay, we'll shy away from that. And maybe we'll get into now the different neighborhoods and how they're broken up and what someone can experience in each of the various locations throughout the city. Yeah, uh, we've got so many. It's a collection of all different communities and, and locations and localities and they all have their own 
center and they all have their own slightly different flavor. And, you know, I've been in London since 1996 and there's still so much that um, I haven't seen. And because I am now someone who considers themselves uh, a Londoner, I do that classic thing of having, uh, you know, I, I kind of stay local. I have my favorite area and, um, you know, it's it's a cliche in London that um, there's a, there's a thing where you 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 get in a taxi, and then uh, you know if you're if you're in the south side of the river, and then the, the taxi driver says, "Oh, I'm not going north at this time of night," or, or vice versa, and then you've got East London versus West London. So it's a it's a huge city, but it, and it's really diverse and it has all these clusters where you can the 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 the, the, the vibes different, where the people. Uh, are different um you've got your for example your portuguese clusters uh, close to where i live we've got somewhere it depends which figures you look at so in the region of about twenty thousand orthodox jewish people living um so yeah there's so much to see and little uh, micro adventures you can go on where you you dive into one of our 32 boroughs uh 32 boroughs plus the financial district uh the city or the corporation of london and they're all, they're all kind of, you know, the little worlds within themselves, yeah. So can you take us through one of your, your guides or one of your tours, I mean, uh, a, a day in the life? So a, a typical uh, day for me might be, I mean, I, I've got to say it's very different depending whether it's winter or summer because it's, it's a very seasonal business. But um, uh, let's say it's like peak, for example, in the summer. So I might do start might start the morning off with a uh, you know one of those establishing tours. Welcome to London, and um, you know I, I do say to people I had an inquiry recently from a guy, and it, it was their first time in London, and he said to me, you know, oh, I don't want to do the the touristy spots, but I said to him, well, if it's your first time, I, th- I think you do have to start with that, right? Um, if you go to New York for the first time, a Brit, you probably do want to see the Statue of Liberty, you know, just because you've, you've seen, heard so much about it. So I was like, I think, I think do that. And then in the afternoon or the next day, then we'll do something a little bit more kind of niche. So I might do that in the morning and then the afternoon, maybe I'll do something a little bit alternative, like a tour around the markets. Um, I absolutely love markets. I think they're really interesting places because it's places, they're places where people come together and they connect and, you know, you've got the buzz of uh, the, 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 all that, that kind of vibe that, you know, this is why people shop in markets, to get the human interactions, get the buzz, there's the noise. Um, so I might do that on an afternoon. And then sometimes in the evening, I might take people on a pub tour as well, because we've got fantastic pubs here. I mean, the pub is a British institution. And we've got some <laughs> here in London. And um, I know you guys are thinking it's a pretty tough gig. It's a dirty job. But, you know, I'm, I'm willing to step up to the plate and drink beer so that Americans can experience real London. <laughs> Thank you for your sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things that I did as soon as I got into London was uh, run to a restaurant and got a full English breakfast, I believe it's called. Yeah. Is that yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that's a very, that's a so, good way to. Tell our, tell our guests what it actually consists of, the full English breakfast. Okay, the full English breakfast. Well, this is this, this is a little bit ironic because I'm actually vegetarian. But if you have the the full English, it would be uh, bacon and eggs. The eggs are usually fried, uh, sausage, 
um, maybe hush brown, baked beans, definitely some uh, mushrooms, some tomatoes. Um, it used to be, it depends where you go, but it might be tinned, sometimes fresh. Then maybe you might even indulge yourself in a little bit of uh, black pudding, which is mm, it's so awful. good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> So what is it? I don't even know what black pudding is. One of you said it was awful. One of you said it was really good. <laughs> no, I'm saying literally it's awful. O-double-F-A-L. It's like the, the sort of, I forget what it is exactly, but it's, but it's basically, you know, the, 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 the byproducts from the meat industry. Um, I, think it's, um, I think it's oats, I think, with, um, with blood in it. Yeah. Which gives a distinctive dark color. Oh, that sounds nasty. Delicious. Is it? What, there has to be something it's like, it's else like in it blood that brings sausage. out the flavor. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, 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 it reminds me of a darker meatloaf. Where did you have it? London. You had it in London, yeah. yeah. I didn't. And I, Ireland. Yeah. I my full English breakfast was amazing. I passed on the awful <laughs> black pudding. I really didn't know about it. But the the thing that struck me that was odd about the the full English breakfast was the the baked beans. Seems like a oh, weird thing to eat for breakfast. breakfast. I mean, so a black pudding, it's a blood sausage uh, made from, so it's got pork blood in it, pork fat, beefs to it, and cereal as well. And um, so you might have oatmeal in it. So it's actually, because I did used to eat meat, it is actually uh, pretty tasty. It kind of sounds uh, a, a lot worse than it actually is. And okay. it's the sort of thing that, you know, will set you up for a full day. It's also, uh, you know, if you are going on something like a pub tour, it's a good sort of thing to line the stomach with as well. Um, but yeah, and you, you've got to have the baked beans as well. I mean, that's just part of the, uh, you know, the most famous brand obviously is Heinz 57. Uh, but yeah, you've the, that, that's a classic way to start your British day. Yeah, None of this kind of, you know, having a, a tiny coffee and a croissant, uh, right. which you might find sometimes. In, in some countries but now get uh, get some storage in you get those calories in there well you can really judge a country by the type of breakfast they have because that to me so so that's one of the plates that varies the most around the globe most countries have the same sort of dinners and lunches where it's a protein source and vegetable and some sort of starchy side or, or carbohydrate of some kind whether it's a fish or some sort of livestock meat like but that's pretty much across the board for those later meals but then breakfast varies so american in america it's like the bacon and eggs that's like the staple london we just went over it but then italy for example is exactly what you just said it's like a croissant a tiny little croissant and an espresso and that's it um you go to Asian countries and sometimes it's just fruit and maybe like a juice. And so it's always interesting to me to see that the way these countries have their breakfasts um, established. Yeah, but I mean, obviously you, could, you couldn't eat full English breakfast every day because uh, you'd, be, you'd be getting a letter from your doctor. <laughs> you'd, you'd look like an American. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. weekend treat, though, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have porridge a lot. And then I might have like a, a vegetarian fry up a couple of times a week. I mean, I, you could, it would be great to eat that every day. But um, I mean, we do do a lot of walking here. Um, I think I believe New Yorkers do a lot of walking as well. So we walk here a lot. But yeah, you, you couldn't have it every day. Um, your your arteries would just be kind of you know closing up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, do, you, do you a have little, a, a, a little drink? Do you have a recommended restaurant that people go to when they get to London for the full English breakfast or something similar? you know i don't right i mean it's a funny one this restaurant um when i started off before i became like you know uh, uh a guide 
specific to London, although I, I do still do other stuff overseas, but I, I did a lot of work uh, in all different countries as a, a tour director. And I, when I was doing my training at the start, someone said, uh, be very wary of recommending restaurants because just supposing they've got a different chef in one day or just supposing someone, you know, heaven forbid, but got food poisoning. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, people will say, what's, what's a really typical restaurant for this and for that? And then I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll give them, um, say the top 10 British restaurants, or sort of London restaurants for the, the known, for example, there's one that's known for game. There's another one that's known for like traditional British, um, food then there are other ones that are really good for views and things like that um but the other thing but people have such different tastes and also as well people have different budgets and you know we get such different people you you might have like a a family who've scrimped and saved you know for a a couple of years to get here and then you might have somebody else who's who thinks nothing of getting taxis everywhere and is literally kind of desperate to burn through um hundreds of, of dollars in no time you know they've, they've kind of like they're like right i'm here for like a week let's go crazy so it's uh it's an interesting one that the whole the whole restaurant recommendation game so i tend to i tend to play it quite safe on that one so i'll, I'll recommend a few sort of big name ones um but um yeah and, and also as well what i like to do is I mean, I'll sometimes give people a list of uh, uh, places they might want to go. But because I started off in educational travel, working with young people, the, the idea was to empower people. So rather than saying, uh, you should go here, I prefer to say, well, there's this for this, there's that for that. You know, you might want to go to uh, Stockwell, get some Brazilian food. You might want to go to Chinatown and try some Chinese there. You might want to go to... Uh, Brixton, get jerk chicken. You might want to go to uh, Borough Market and try all the different food stalls there. Eat your way around the world. You might want to go to, um, I think you guys say greasy spoon as well, don't you? You have that expression, a greasy spoon, like a, a no. mom and pop cafe, you know, where it's really sort of like the, the food's um, pretty cheap. It's pretty basic, but it's where like, you know, the average person in the street goes to, you know, on a weekend to, to, to get let there load up of calories and then read the paper and a sort of you know cup of tea with two sugars in that real old school traditional kind of like you know blue collar um vibe yeah, yeah. so uh, spoon. I like yeah. i've never heard it oh i thought yeah. you guys had that yeah i mean it's it's, it's kind of a bit unfair because it's a little bit of a slur on those cafes it's the idea that they haven't washed their their um but it's, it's just was what we what we call to i mean you guys i guess maybe you, you have mom and pop, don't you? I mean, it's, we, maybe have, it's a play- we have the term dive bar or, or it's a dive, which just means that it's kind of, it's like a darker setting that it's a smaller establishment kind of yeah. Yeah. dimly lit, yeah. dim lit, kind of grungy. Oh, like the, the crowd yeah. is more of a blue collar and yeah, they're, they're called like just dive bars. Now that, that um, term isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's yeah. come, it's been accepted now. And people seek dive bars because a lot of times they will have really good chefs and really good food, but they're usually very cheap. They're budget friendly. And it's more of like a, a blue collar type of setting. Oh, you guys go to dive bars for food. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah. So, so here that would be more like you would go because it's kind of like you know it's a good place for a late night drink and maybe it feels a little bit seedy but in a good way you know. Right. Yeah. So same thing. But a lot of times now in America at least they have yeah. good food. There's actually a show. It's called Diners, Diners Drivings and Dives and Dives and is oh, that like wow. a guy? That's Guy Fieri, right? Yep. Yeah. So he actually yeah has a show all around driving through the United States finding these dive bar locations and for a while I was doing this, but I would, whenever I went to a new city, I would look up, you know, if there were any in the area that I could try out. And I did that a few times and they were always, always really good. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my friends used to run a dive bar here in London, actually. And um, yeah, we never saw him in daylight hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very pale skin by the end. Yeah. That's funny. All right. So, so where are we in London? Let's, let's jump back to London and, should we, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll take your recommendation. Should we go maybe into a specific neighborhood or take the lead? So we, we get all sorts of, uh, of people and people have um, very different tastes. You know, and you have to know a little bit about, about everything. For example, you might get someone who's into really into high-end shopping and that's, that's by no means my area of expertise. Or they might like, they might like quite sort of like, you know, chi-chi areas. Um, so I might suggest them, well, you know, head down to, to South Kensington, um, have a look around Mayfair. I mean, that's far out, right? If you want to see, because, you know, this, I've, I've got my preferences, but I think you should see the city in all its colours, right? So you should go and see, for example, those really far out places where um, there are all these diamond shops and they're all, you know, there's, there's a security guard outside who looks like he should be in a, uh, a gangster film. And then you've got this insane Rolls Royce outside and you can see that people have personal assistants doing their stuff for them and all that. You should see that, but then you should also go down you know, like street level and see uh, places where, you know, people like myself go and, and, and hang out. I mean, I'm, I'm an East London man, so I love East London. Um, it's a little bit more uh, earthy. It's a little bit more kind of like, you know, um, regular. Um, but it's a really interesting area because it's now super fashionable. So it's where um, you go if you want to see a lot of the trends, like the latest trends, they'll come out of East London. People that work in media, people that are in bands, people that are doing street art and all that kind of thing. There's a really big scene for, for that in East London. And that's where, that's my favorite place to be because it's, it's my patch. It's where I feel at home. It's what brought me in in the first place when I was thinking about moving to Berlin. And then I discovered East London. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really cool. I don't need to go to Berlin for the alternative uh, scene, for the subcultures, for the street art, for all that, you know, really underground stuff that Berlin's known for. I found it here. So where is exactly do you consider East London? Well, I think technically where I live in Hackney, most people would say that's East London, okay. although at the top of the borough, it does start to become, uh, it gets an N postcode, which is North London. Um, so, but obviously it goes a lot further out. I mean, it's, it's not the East End because that's the whole, you know, the whole Cockney thing. That's a very compact and specific area, really close in. Um, this is much further out. So I guess technically where I am is, um, is northeast London, technically. Um, but I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's East London, which means, you know, anywhere to the east of the, of the metropolis. But if you say East London, like, oh, guys, I think you should go and hang out in East London, then people usually think of places like Shoreditch, Hoxton, uh, Brick Lane. 
And then increasingly, as, as the scenes move north, places like um, Hackney, where I live, uh, Dalston as well, places like that. But I mean, if, if you if you kind of just learn for a couple of days and you want to see something a little bit different, um, I'd say, you know, day two, go down to somewhere like Brick Lane. Uh, it's got a, a very big Bangladeshi population. So the food there is great. You can get a really good curry. You can see the world's leading street artists. You can see new street artists that aren't known yet. You can go and shop for vintage clothes. You can go and sort of like, you can watch what, you know, people watching there is fantastic. You watch the international hipsters. Um, obviously I'm way too old to be a hipster now, but um, <laughs> I think you know, being a hipster is a mindset. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, and that's, that's sort of what I was going to get at with this, this location. So it seems like I wanted to call it the hipster location. I didn't know if that was a term that you guys use out there, but uh, it's so, so my understanding from what you just described is this area uh, of East London is something that would be perfect for a younger person, maybe not necessarily a family, but someone who wants to experience the, the, the in-depth, the underground culture of London, so to speak. And and kind of throw themselves into it that way and pull themselves away from the main tourist attractions and, you know, the red phone booths and, and into maybe a more authentic London experience. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you've got, um, I mean, I, I use, use the word hipster. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of labels and, and East London is actually the sum of so Sorry, many of you. Um, parts. <laughs> 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 But uh, yeah, you know, East London is is it's so diverse, and it really is. That's what makes it so special. It, it is that rich variety. So yeah, you can you can go into uh, some of those bars that you know are so painfully hip that you know no one's allowed to smile because they're you know really busy being like uber cool. But then you've got you've got everything. You know, you've, you've got uh, you can go and get authentic. Um, uh, you can go to the the Orthodox Jewish bakeries and get food there. You can go and have curry. Um, you can go and swing by. Um, look at the look at the mosques. You can um, see what the, the the local kids are wearing and and they're sort of you know what the the vibe of London, which is great. But yeah, you want to see you know like you want to go a little bit. Um, uh, uh, underground, I guess, then you can do that. And, 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 and it's amazing if you go, once you leave the financial district, you only have to walk for about 10 minutes and the vibe is completely different. And then if you walk for another 10 minutes, then it'll be different again. And it, it, London's so rich in these, in these, you know, micro, I, I guess they're sort of cultural microclimates, right? And um, it's absolutely fantastic. You know, I recommend to people, if, if you've got time, uh, ride a double-decker bus and just sit on the top deck like Virginia Woolf used to do when she was looking for inspiration around London and do a little bit of earwigging, tune into what people are talking about and look down and see what people are doing on the street and the way they're doing their thing. And that's something I like to do when I travel, for example, is, uh, is go on a bus in foreign cities and just observe, you know. It's the, it's the rider in me. I like to observe people and just the little details. Yeah. Hey, People watching is the number one activity across all humans everywhere in the world. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's a national sport in um, in France. I mean, the the Parisian cafes are all set up for the uh, you know the seats outside to watch the world go past. But if you're on a bus 
for example, because the, the tube's fantastic, right? You can get around town really fast, but you don't build up that cognitive map of the city. And also you don't see the transition. So you don't see how one area morphs subtly uh, or sometimes not subtly into a, a different area. Whereas yeah. you get that from the book, you get the sense of, of going past, uh, you know, you, you could be going past a Roman wall and then five minutes later, you see that you're in a place where uh, people that work in TV or make music uh, uh, hang out or people just, or, or, or you know, estates where just regular people are living their lives and coming home from work and, and doing their thing. So that's a great way, I think, of accessing, tapping in to the real essence of the city. But but in the in the same way, but also you know the tourist spots, the, the the classic London, that's also very much part of the city. So all of those things, you know, are um, they together they make this amazing uh, capital city that has so much going on where you need never be bored. I think the the one thing that was amazing for my three days that I was there, I just stayed in a hostel and. The only method of me getting around was walking and getting one of the city bikes. And I paid, I think, three euros for three days total. And I was able to bike around the city within half an hour of my time limit and switch to a new bike. And I, I mean, I rode probably 30 or 40 miles just that weekend alone going from uh, like the Walworth area in southern London oh, yeah. up to uh, Camden Market, Regent's Park, Hyde Park, and then, you know, over to Tower of London and the Financial District. And it was, it was amazing. I got to see so much and I got to see that transition you were talking about. And it's really interesting because it does just morph. It's not an abrupt change, but it does change. Yeah. I mean, it's a city of contrast. I know, I know that's such a travel writing cliche, right? You know, say a uh, city of contrast, but, but it is, you, you could be standing outside one of the you know, the biggest banks in Europe where people are wearing, you know, sort of uh, people get million pound bonuses are wearing suits that are, you know, cost what your, your, your rent is for a month or something like that. And then the next minute you can be on a, on a street corner and watching, um, you know, like people um, coming out of fish and chip shops in, you know, and, and, and we have, uh, should I put it, should I mention a brand name? Um, so Greg's do this thing called, uh, it was a, a revelation in in, uh, <laughs> in high street food. It was the vegan sausage roll. And it was this massive thing in uh, PR and media. Um, it was all the newspapers and all the social media. And you, you've got that amazing difference between these uh, people living like incredibly cosmopolitan international lifestyles, you know, the sort of people that are flying in on a, a private jet to go and do uh, this a massive deal in the financial district and they're jumping on the Eurostar and then two and a half hours later they're in Paris. And then you've got people that have maybe uh, lived their whole life within uh, a few blocks, you know, and they're going to the same pub, uh, the same cafe that they've always gone to. And uh, it's just phenomenal. People are living such different lives next to each other. And it's, um, it's a great thing. And like what you said about the bicycle, I mean, the bicycle is a fantastic way to get around as long as, I mean, we're getting better, right? We don't have the cycle infrastructure that places like Germany and the Netherlands have, but we're getting better. And if you feel comfortable on that, then it's fantastic because obviously you get a little endorphin buzz 
and it's so liberating and you're, you're in control, you know, you're, you're in charge of your own schedule. You're not sitting on a bus where someone's right. You've got 10 minutes here, take your pictures, use the toilet and then we're going again. Blah, blah. So you, you're in charge of your own schedule and you do start to see you become, you know, at one with the city and you see, as you said, those, those changes, you, you happen across accidentally hidden parks that are like little treasures, you know, with, uh, um, and then you might, for example, if you're going to uh, Regent's Park, you might find yourself up a, a hill with one of the best views of London. You might find yourself on Parliament Hill um, or even uh, on Primrose Hill. And those things are just little treats, especially, but they're especially good. And this is why, you know, when I started off in educational tourism, you want to empower people because you want people to um, make those little discoveries on their own. So I like to prime people when I do the regular tour, the intro to London, I'm kind of priming people to go off and then have adventures. So interesting. So going back to parks, do you have any open spaces that you would recommend to people? So many. <laughs> any major ones? I really, I don't know London very well. There are a lot of cities that I'm, I'm, I could speak on the geography pretty easily, but London for some reason is not one of those cities. So which parks would you recommend people gravitate towards? If you're um, if you're in the centre, then we've got a couple of like micro parks inside churches that were destroyed in the Blitz. They're pretty cool. And also near St Paul's, we have Postman's Park, which is a little a little park where you know financial district um, people will work. Uh, so we'll pop into at lunchtime and get some you know to kind of chill out and eat their sandwiches. But it it's got. Um, all these memorials to people that gave their lives in the course of trying to save someone else. So it has this incredibly poignant element to it with these tiles that um, recall people, you know, and it might be uh, someone who dived into a canal to try and save a child from drowning. It might be a policeman that ran into a burning building and all these people, you know, died trying to save someone else. And that's quite a special place. And it's only, five minutes away five minutes walk from saint paul's cathedral but again of course if you, if you don't have the local knowledge then you wouldn't know it's there um another one is i'm uh, where i live in the northeast uh, part of uh, it's still fairly close to the center about five miles away from from the center of the city we have an incredible open space which is called hackney marshes so it's not the sort of thing, if you were just in London for a couple of days, you wouldn't come here. But if you're here for a week and you want to uh, go a little bit off the beaten track and you want to see a massive green space in this huge packed city, then Hackney Marshes is fantastic. And up there you'll find birds, like the, the, the wildlife is absolutely incredible. And you would, you would never think that you're 15 minutes on the train from all those glass and steel skyscrapers of uh, the city of london the corporation of london where uh, you know all those the, the phones are buzzing and everyone's busy doing deals and uh, all these new uh, symbols of prosperity and wealth going up um yeah it's it's uh, and it's quite special the marshes really are actually quite close to the olympic park that's right yeah um they're very close they, they actually start where the olympic park ends okay. and, and i actually uh, got into this funnily enough in 2012 and um i was in east london east london was changing rapidly and um i'd also started to look into the history of of east london and i thought to myself i've been going around uh, europe for um 
five years at that point, taking American students usually on um, on tours of Europe. Um, and, and of course, you go to places like Versailles, you go to the Sistine Chapel, and then you're like, wow, this is amazing, it's incredible. Like, if only we had this stuff, uh, you know, where I lived. And then I started to look at the history of East London, and I was like, oh, actually, the history here is really amazing. It is absolutely fascinating. And then, of course, the Olympics were uh, arrived. And so East London was very much in the international spotlight. Uh, there was a, the, the whole Olympic site had been redeveloped. It was, the changes are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it was increasingly fashionable to be in East London. So all of a sudden, I was in the right place at the right time. And it all kind of kicked off from there, really. Yeah, that's one thing that I wish I did see when I was there. Because the, I, I think I visited in 2013. So it was actually shortly after the Olympics. But eh, that'll be for the next trip. Yeah, it was it was a major event, uh, the Olympics, and you know the I, I did some tours actually for uh, typically German broadsheets. Right, the, the Germans I find Germany quite an intellectual country, and they they want to go beyond the PR headlines, and they want to know well, okay, we can read your your press releases from your government and from the, the Olympic Games people, but what's really going on for people in that area? And so I started taking them behind the scenes. And you see places like, for example, where people were really unhappy because they had five years of building works or maybe they'd lost stuff because the, the, the Olympics is a massive project, right? And, you know, there's, there's an expression that you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. And people, there were, lots of, there were more than 200 compulsory purchase orders on businesses. Businesses were, were moved out, relocated. There was a lot of dislocation. And, of course, if you, it's all very well to say that you know, you can't make an, uh, you know, this, this Olympic omelette can't be made without smashing some eggs. But of course, if you are one of those eggs, then it's quite a big deal, you know? So yeah. I was taking them behind the scenes and I'd be like, well, this is where we've got soldiers on the, on the roof of this building with air to air, surface to air missiles, um, things like that. And I'd be, you know, some of the residents not too keen on that, bum, bum, bum. And what, what this is, I mean, you, you, I think you mentioned at the start, this idea of the process of starting with the big picture but then zooming in and going right down to the micro, to the street level. And I mean, it's endless really, because you, you, could, you could do a tour ultimately in one street. And because the more you zoom in, the more you find out. And there are whole worlds and there are things that you don't even realize are going on. There are worlds within worlds, you know, and people do crime tours, people do legal tours, people do uh, wildlife tours, people do uh, flora. And, uh, and fauna tours, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're curious about the world, there really is, there's no limit. Yeah, and that's the thing that kind of bugs me when people say, oh yeah, I've been to so many countries. I was like, well, how many cities have you been in there? All right, you were only in, that, in one city in that country for a day. So how much of the country did you actually see and how much of the city do you actually know? And like you said, you can go into as many levels of detail in a city and never know everything there is to know. Yeah, I mean, London's like that. London has this incredible tradition of being written about. It's a fantastic literary tradition. It goes back, you know, the names are just, you know, Shakespeare, Chaucer, right through to the psychogeographers of today, people like Ian Sinclair, cataloging what they, they find in the city. Daniel Defoe, people have written about this city for well almost i guess it would be a, a, a millennia 
I guess actually if you include the, if you include the Roman historians, then it is it's millennia, yeah. People like Tacitus. And there's, there's always more to be found, there's always more to be discovered, and there's always something new to be said about it as well. And this is one of the great things about why I love this job, is that every day when I'm working, I get to see the city afresh through new eyes. And it's interesting when you have visitors because they'll pick out things that you don't think twice about and they'll go, why do you guys do that? That's a little bit weird. And then you'll be like, yeah, actually, I've never thought about that, but now you mention it. Yeah, that is a bit weird. Why do we do that? And um, those, those fresh eyes are, uh, it's fantastic. And of course the people that, that, that hire you as a guide, it's self-selecting, they're necessarily curious, hungry for knowledge, and they want to see and explore and, and get as much out of the city as possible um, with you. So it really is a kind of, it's the most amazing virtuous circle. And, it's, and I count myself as incredibly lucky to be able to do this as a job. It's just amazing. You get to share discovery and wonder every day. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things about London and a lot of older Western European cities is the organic structure that the streets take. Because London, <laughs> <laughs> London has a very, I would say it doesn't look planned. It looks like they put the streets where they needed to be at that time. And then they kind of grew and more streets formed. But if you zoom in and look closer at those uh, curvy streets, then you start to see a grid form, but it's very small. It's not like New York City, which was planned from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that's interesting about London is because it's so old is, for example, um, you, you mentioned the organic streak pattern. Yeah. I mean, after the Great Fire of London in 1666, there were actually uh, proposals to rebuild the city in a much more planned and structured form. But they were kind of um, discarded. Uh, I think a lot of people wanted to have their, their homes back in exactly the same place. And then because we, we were pioneers in, in fields like, for example, uh, the, the subway system, the tube, with things like that, other cities then come along and they learn from that and they say, OK, well, we're going to take that and copy that. But you know what? We'll actually do that in a slightly more efficient way. So it's funny, like our in infrastructure here, we have an incredible um, subway infrastructure, but in some respects, uh, like, the, like the, the mainline railways, it's a little bit limited because we built it in the late 1800s um, or sometimes mid 1800s. And um, yeah, like if you were gonna do it again, you would do it in a very different way. But because we started so long ago with a little, you know, little Roman settlement, Londinium, as you say, it's just evolved organically in a very sort of like, oh, we'll put this over here and then we'll put that there and then we'll put that. And then of course, we've never had that tabula rasa for example, in Central Europe, you go to some of the cities there, they were completely flattened in World War II. And so post-war, they said, right, we're starting from scratch. Um, Paris, um, Baron von Holtzmann in the, the 1860s, and Napoleon III, he's got carte blanche to, um, to start afresh with the city zoning. But yeah, we never, we never got that. And so for us, it's, it's totally natural. But of course, uh, Americans all the time will remind me that to them, this is really sort of like, uh, it's, well, why is it like this is a really crazy way to lay out a city? And I'm like, well, we didn't really lay it out. It just sort of evolved. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's I, don't, cool. I didn't really know the history of London. It, it started out as a, as a Roman settlement. Where does the, yeah. the name London come from? Londinium. Well, it's, um, oh my gosh. You've got Londinium, you've got London Wick. Um, 
the Romans were here 2000 years ago. Yeah. And it, really you've, you've got to start with those guys because that's the, they're the guys that put London on the map. And it's a, um, it's not, the, it's not their first capital actually, that's Colchester, but then London uh, eventually grows and becomes the capital. It becomes a trading port for the Romans. And then that's the start of this, uh, uh, this strategic location where they crossed the river. So, I mean, here's, here's a funny thing about, about our country, right? Is that we, because they stayed for you know, 400 plus years, we celebrate the fact that we were conquered by a foreign military power, which is quite bizarre when you think about it. But they stayed for, you know, almost half a century, um, sorry, half a, half a millennia. Um, and um, yeah, it, it evolved from that really. And it's because of that strategic location, they were pushing north to conquer the rest of the country. Uh, London was a place where the river was narrowed enough that they could um, cross it. Um, it became a, a trading post, a strategic location. We had, I believe it was the largest basilica outside Rome in the uh, Western uh, Roman Empire. So uh, those guys really, and of course they built straight roads and you can still follow the path of those roads today. Watling Street, for example. Um, so they really left their mark. And we, and you can see, of course, you can see that in the architecture, right? I mean, you guys have been to Europe, you see the columns that reference the Romans and the Greeks, you know, the sophistication of Greece, the power of Rome. And that's all referenced in the architecture, especially when you go to the governmental quarter. So the... The, the Roman past is very much with us when you, you know, symbolically and, um, you know, the structures, the civic structures, that sort of thing. Those guys were, yeah, pioneers. So, yeah, all roads lead to Rome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could see evidence of Roman architecture in Philadelphia and, and Rome didn't even come here. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the columns oh. and stuff with the buildings. Yeah, you can see, so you can see the influence of, of Roman architecture in, in a lot of the government buildings in Philadelphia. Yeah, the classic style architecture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, ne neoclassicism for sure. I mean, that's when you see St. Paul's Cathedral, uh, a lot of Americans will say, oh, that's like our, our capital building. And I'll say, um, yeah, it is. Um, your capital buildings are, uh, are, are like our St. Paul's, but then our St. Paul's is also like the Vatican. So it's, it's echoes of people who are echoing something else. And I think, you know, if I understand correctly, the Romans copied the Greeks. Um, I've got a friend who's big into Greek things and she's always, she lives in Greece and she's always like, the Romans copied the Greeks, the Greeks are first, don't give the Romans the credit. Um, <laughs> I think that is, well, yeah, then, it sounds true though. I, I believe yeah, the Greeks were the first to do a lot. a lot of what the Romans appear to have taken credit for. <laughs> yeah. someone, I read, someone else said, um, I think they said, yeah, but the Mes Mesopotamians were before the Greeks, so actually the Greeks were, were taken, oh, and so, so it goes, so it goes. But <clears> you, <throat> you've got that in London as well. Like a lot of our sort of government, government buildings are um, the governmental quarter. You've got that neoclassicism. But of course, in the 1800s as well, we also had neo-Gothic. So you've got, you know, the original Gothic on parts of Westminster Abbey. And so you can actually see, you can see, you can see when something was in vogue architecturally. And then you can even, because we've been here so long, you can even see when it went out and then when it went back in again. So kind of like second wave of, um, which is, it's a little bit like for me, as I get a bit older with music where, you know, I'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember that the first time around. <laughs> Same thing with clothes. Yeah. I mean, vintage, right. We've got, um, 
London. I mean, it, this is this is such a uh, it's a bit of a cliche because uh, you know people in uh, in government uh, this, will say this thing all the time. But we do punch above our weight, as the expression goes, in certain fields like popular culture. So music, the music scene here is absolutely amazing. The fashion here is amazing. The street art here is amazing. So yeah, I mean, if you said you said like if you're a, a young person, you want to find some cool stuff, head to East London, and you can. And people, people come here from all over the world to get inspired by that sort of thing. So that's why we have the world's leading street artists. That's why we have designers and fashion people coming. And um, I hope that that will continue, that we'll continue to have this uh, open feel about the city and continue to be a very cosmopolitan place where all these influences can come and, and mix and get the new vibes. Although it's funny, quite often we do get things a little bit after um, New York sometimes. I think well. it's, it's between so, the two. I always feel as though trends start in Europe and make their way over here. Um, but maybe New York has some influence here and there. <laughs> they're both urban juggernauts. They, they're yeah. just global cities. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, hey, we better not leave California out or they'll get a little bit uh, offended, you know? Yeah, they yeah. like to whine a little bit. Huh? Los Angeles, we didn't forget about you. <laughs> I've spent enough time in the States to know about the whole East Coast, West Coast thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, I think the West Coast just gets upset because they're three hours behind everything that happens. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Hashtag controversial. I'll let you feel the emails in response to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before we let you go, um, tell us where people can book tours with you, where they can meet you in London and, and get a feel for the city. Great. So um, I do my own uh, alternative stuff, which is a little bit more niche. And really that's kind of... Uh, for people, uh, it's, it's for curious Londoners really, as um, hacking tours. But um, you know, if you're coming from the States, uh, you can find me on the Tours by Locals platform. And that's a great space because, well, because they, they, they find you guys for me, which is absolutely fantastic. But they vet people as well. Um, you know, there's a, there's a platform for payments and things like that. There are insurance um, things are all taken care of. So when you even look at reviews as well, lots of reviews. Um, and I have to say, I, I've got some pretty good reviews. And I think that's because I really enjoy meeting people. And it's, I mean, it's, I, I, I sometimes say to people, you know, it's a two-way thing, this. And people say, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, every time you tell me a little bit about where you come from and about what's happening there and about how you guys do things, then I'm learning about the world. And I meet the most fascinating people. Uh, I had one guy who makes, I was like, so what do you do back in the States? And he said, oh, I make rockets for Elon Musk. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. wow. Yeah, I know, right? Um, that's way above my pay grade. Um, I didn't ask him too many questions because I knew I just wouldn't understand what he was talking about. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so you can read the reviews, you can see, I mean, all, uh, there, are, there are tons of brilliant guys in London and, you know, they're all good in different ways and they're all, they'll all give you a slightly different flavour and we all have our own Londons, right? So you'll, you'll get quite a different view. From, I, I always caveat my things with like, you know, I'd say, well, this is, this is my particular London but it's a, uh, we're, we're all different. But if you, if you go through the platform, um, Tours by Locals, then 
you can get a flavor of, of what your guides like. You can say, okay, well that, that guy's more into this and I'm into that, or, oh, this, this looks, the guy looks like it'd be quite a good fit. I get a lot of New Yorkers actually. I get a lot of New Yorkers and I think I as you that. said, there's maybe a bit of a fit there, you know, they get it. So they might be, okay, I, I want to go east. I want to see sort of, you know, I, okay, I, I can read the brochure and do the obvious stuff. I want to go something, uh, go a little bit alternative, off-piste. Um, so I get a lot of uh, New Yorkers, yeah, and they're, um, and they're good because they walk fast as well. So that's right. So, like. so my, my thought process is if, you, if you're an American and you're used to living in a city and you understand the layout of a city and the mechanics of taxis and subway systems, then most people can just fly to London and do the, the, the big touristy stuff on their own. It's easy enough. The signs are all over the place. You understand the city. You understand how to maneuver within the city. So do that on your own and then reach out to someone like yourself where you have someone to rely upon to take you into the more niche areas and really dive into the culture behind the major city. And I think that's a good way, way to look at what you do. And I, I think it's a good way for people to experience the inner workings of an, a foreign city without the same old, same old of the main tourist attractions. Well, yeah, although, although yeah, I mean, I, I, I've kind of done that myself. I will say, though, that um, even for the conventional sites, you, um, a good guide will, will totally bring it alive for you in a different way in a way that, that, that because, you know, I, I know lots of people that work in the, uh, in the industry and, um, you know, the ones I'm, I'm in touch with, I hang out with, like none of them are dull. They're all very exciting, sort of interesting people. And they will, they'll, you know, I mean, it's because something like Parliament, you know, you've got an audio guide. I mean, Parliament's pretty cool, actually. But say you've got an audio guide or something like that, you, you get, you know, so much from it. All that stuff's great. But when you have someone... Um, a person and that's and I know we live in a very technological age but for me as a, as a storyteller there's a really important place there for people because you they, they bring stories alive and if, you know for example I'd been to Stonehenge um, a few times and been a bit underwhelmed and then one day um, I went with a group and I was hanging around at the back and I was kind of expecting to be a little bit like you know blah blah and then the guide had brought some children's books with some pictures. And then it was an old lady, actually, and she just really brought it alive. And in that moment, I started to see Stonehenge in a really different way. And I was like, oh, right, I get it. Okay, this is actually, it is really interesting. So, yeah, and there's, there's all different ways to approach, to approach cities. But I, I would never for a second try and dissuade anyone from hiring, you know, a sort of, a, a more mainstream guide for a mainstream tour of London because they're, they're really good at what they do. And, and the thing is, right, is our history is so crazy in some parts that uh, even stuff you might think is conventional, kings and queens, blah, 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 but actually, where, you know, the, the, the guides know the, the wacky stuff and some of the stories, you'd be like, wow, you know, truth really is stranger than fiction. And you wouldn't necessarily get that from an audio guide or from an app. You know, so there's, there's a place and that's the thing about a big city like this, right? And about the travel industry is that there's a place for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. That, that, that all makes sense. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. It's been fun uh, talking to, to you guys. Um, it's interesting. You, know, you, you talked about the city and about getting to know it and about how you can, you can keep on um, getting to know it. 
I've only seen California and a little bit of uh, Nevada. And because um, I've worked with a lot of Americans, I'm kind of aware now of how diverse your country is. And it became apparent to me after, after spending some time in, in, I mean, even California was different like Northern and Southern California. And so there's an interesting parallel there with, uh, you know, you, 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 you think you know a bit about America. And then, you know, the, the, so that metaphor works the same way, that there's, there's so much to discover. You know, I, I kind of thought I was there when we made landfall of the East Coast. I was flying to San Francisco. And then, like, you know, several hours later, and we're still in the air. And I was like, wow, this is some big country yeah, yeah, yeah you almost have it's almost like we have 50 different countries i think it's almost easier to look at it like that from a cultural perspective than anything else because it does vary so differently for sure i mean you, you can imagine across i work with people from all across the country and the east coasters the west coasters you know people in the midwest um people from uh, the north from the south and you know just the the speed that they they do things at or the way they approach things so it's so uh, so different and so diverse so that yeah I, I guess in the same way a city you can you can think you know it but there's always more to find out right yeah right definitely yeah it's a good way to leave it yeah hey simon thank you again uh, and for those listening tours by locals and and hackney Hackney tours, yeah. Um, so I'm from the north of the country, right? So when I say tour, uh, it's T-O-U-R. But, uh, you know, if you're from London uh, originally, then you might say tour. So, yeah, Hackney, Hackney tours. But I still I still keep my uh, northern roots. Even though, <laughs> All right. That's know, important. I, I it is, yeah. No, a wonderful capital city. And, hey, guys, anytime you uh, find yourself in London and you want to go and hit some pubs, we know who to call. Hey, know, vice versa, man. We know who will make the sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. If you're ever in Philadelphia or New York City, let us know. Fantastic, guys. All right, so. man. Cheers, man. Enjoy your evening. Thanks, man. Cheers. Well, I definitely need to go back to London. There's a lot more that I know now that I wish I did then. Right. I think now that I've been there and I've done the main touristy things, when I do go back, I'm going to take his advice and go to those neighborhoods and sort of get a more underground, authentic London experience, but specifically in the neighborhoods that have that art scene, that hipster scene, uh, you tend to find good coffee there. (laughs) Yes. I love coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we can take a book or a page out of the house sitting book and get a house. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, London would be a good city. You know where we should throw this? Into the bucket list of destinations with young children. Yes, definitely. London's a pretty accessible city. Good call. Mm -hmm. All right. What is the trivia question for Simon? So the trivia question for Simon is, what park did Simon recommend in the financial district? If you know the answer, please send us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or DM us through social media. We will take your answer and then provide you with a Traveler's Blueprint sticker. Thank you for participating and tune in next week.